Hello, hello, and welcome to the Finding the Unicorn in You podcast. What a beautiful day to inspire lives. My name is Dr. Jaime Cabrera-Dagosa, your host, and I'm so excited to have you here. Let's get ready to meet some fantastic unicorns and learn how to unleash the inner unicorn in you. Let's get started. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Finding the Unicorn in You. Today, I have a person that I know for the past four years. I've got to know her very well. She is a mother of two has her ASW, and she has been in the, in the nonprofit field, in the service field for the past almost 10 years. So I'll let her talk a little bit about herself. So I have Justina Ryan Baldwin. Hi, Jaime. I'm super excited. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your background? I've been in the field for almost 10 years now, working in nonprofits. I started working as direct service staff with families with children who are at risk of losing their placement and staying at home. My job was to work with the families to prevent that. And then I did that for a couple of years. And then I moved towards uh, management and supervising. And I've been doing that for over five years now. Nice. So when you decided to go into this field, why the service field? Like versus all the other options you could have done? I've always wanted to help people. I've always enjoyed spending time with people in college, I worked with kids and families at a daycare, and then I did ABA therapy or applied behavior analysis with um, families that had kiddos with autism and other developmental disorders. And I just really enjoyed being with people and not necessarily behind a desk. (laughs) I know right now you're doing child development mainly, but overall, how has it been being in this field? What do you do to one, keep yourself motivated because it can be very taxing working with people at, at, at the at the end of the day. So what do you do to stay motivated and how has your experience been thus far? The work we do is thankless often a lot of times and we don't see a lot of change quickly. But when we do see change, it is amazing. And I think holding on to those little glimmers of change that we do see and not just the change we see, but how happy the families and the kids are when they experience that change and they're who they want to be is amazing. And I think that helps me stay motivated. Has there been one specific family or one specific instance where you're like, this is what I do. This is what I love, what I do. I've loved all of the families I've worked with. I think one family that sticks out to me, not really a family, it was a young lady. She had a very significant history of self-harm. Before I started working with her, she was engaging in cutting very frequently, almost daily. And when I started working with her, I worked with her for about six, seven months. We went from the cutting daily to every other day, then a couple times a week. And then by the time I stopped working with her, it was it had been maybe two months since she had cut. So I think that is definitely one thing that made me think, okay. I did it. And with her, I know with with cutting, one of the strategy a lot of people use is putting a rubber band on your wrist. And if you feel like the urge to cut, then you would pull on it and then that would prevent you from cutting. She didn't like the feeling of rubber bands. So we were at Target one day and I saw a scrunchie and I thought, let's just try a scrunchie. And it worked. That's very innovative. And I love that you were able to make that change in her. And essentially, you may not see her now, but you probably changed her trajectory of her life from here on out. So that's amazing that you did that. Thank you. 
I'm hopeful. Yeah. And then stuff like that, that I think a lot of people outside of the field take for granted because I feel like social services and like case management is something that is seen as lesser than like a doctor or a lawyer, even though I feel that what we do is very important. What are some things that you feel should be highlighted about the, the, the things that we do? We really, truly meet people where they're at. And in my program now, we're home visitors. So we are going into people's homes or we're meeting them virtually and we are truly seeing them where they're at in their environment, in their sanctuary. And I think that makes us so awesome. I agree. And I think that's very specific, unique in, the, in what our program does because we're meeting them where they're at is a huge thing versus having them come to your office or having them to, you know, set up certain meetings where you don't know what challenges they have. Like a lot of the parents that we work with have more than one kid, sometimes have like up to six kids. So how are they going to take those kiddos in the car or even if they don't have a car on the bus to get to these appointments? It can be very overwhelming. They have lack of childcare. Mm -hmm. So I think for us, we're definitely, it's super important because we are meeting them at where they're at. It's very rewarding, um, not only for us, but also for the, the people receiving the services. It is. And I think something else to add on to that is we see people at their best. We also see them at not their best. And I think that, quite frankly, is quite a privilege that people are willing to be vulnerable with us. When I started in this field, it was scary because I was like, why would someone want to come, allow me to go to their home? It's very, it's invasive if you <laughs> think about it. And I was a little skeptic. Once you start going into the homes and you start doing things, you're like, oh, this is a this is actually pretty nice. They're very welcoming. If anything, they sometimes try to make you dinner. Or they try to give you all these. <laughs> They're very inviting. And it's like another person. But I think it's because we're, we're allowing them a chance to see that side of them that most providers don't get to see. Definitely. And like you said, it people are very inviting. And I think I've had more people be more welcoming than not welcoming. But a lot of that has to do with our ability as providers to build rapport with families. Definitely. So I do want to switch gears a little bit and really highlight you. You did something that a lot of people wouldn't even imagine thinking. So during not only was it the pandemic, but you were currently pregnant. You were a full-time supervisor and you did you were doing your MSW. It's a lot to juggle and most people would be severely overwhelmed and might have shut down or gave up. But you kept going. You worked very long hours. You were up really early and you were up really late. And you were still going through the motions. What this made you decide, I'm going to keep doing this during this time frame when everything, the world was upside down? Yes, that was quite, quite the experience. I had decided to go back to school for my MSW. And so that COVID hadn't happened yet. So I, I made the choice to go back, decided it was something I wanted to do. And I had to do for my own career, my future. The same week I found out I was accepted into school, I found out my first baby was on the way. So that was a little daunting. But with the support of my husband and my family, and my friends, I thought I can do this. It's going to be super stressful, but I can do it. And then my son was born, I believe, a month into the grad school program, which was very interesting. But my professors were amazing. And that really it helped make the experience less stressful, but then COVID hit and it was a bit of a mess. I should say probably for a good six to seven months, we work, we switched to virtual 
school switched to virtual. And then we kept our son home from daycare for the first six months of the pandemic. So it was the three of us at home, a lot of juggling between going back to meetings, getting my work done, and then taking care of the baby, taking care of the house, and also getting schoolwork done on top of all of that. But the support I had from my family, my friends, my coworkers, and my classmates, it, it made it okay. It was a lot of compartmentalizing. Uh, when I was in work mode, I was in work mode. When I was in school mode, it was school mode. And then when I was on family or house, it was family and house. That helped a lot. You mentioned community. And I think community is super important to help us get through the tough times in our life. Were there any specific groups that you would go to or any study sessions that you would do to really help you when things got tough? Yes, I had a couple study groups in class. It was still in the beginning of the pandemic, so it was all completely online. But it was really helpful to have those with my uh, fellow students. I was in a part-time program, so all of us, we were all working part-time or full-time. A lot of us had families. A lot, Some of us were even taking care of parents as well. So everybody had something going on in addition to school, but we were able to bond over that too. And we were able to respect each other and our input and experiences and support each other through it. And that was probably one of the most helpful things for that. In terms of any other groups, COVID shut everything else down. So there was a lot of my friends had a few of my friends had kids around the same time. So there were a lot of text messages back and forth and group chats going on. But other than that, in person, nothing, very little, but a lot of online support. When I was in my master's program, I felt very alone because I was the younger person in the group and everybody else was in their 30s. I was in my early 20s. And I didn't feel the confidence to be able to ask for help or say, hey, can I be part of your group? Because I would see them like during lunch and they would all go somewhere and I was over here eating my sandwich in the corner. So for someone who is maybe like that right now that's listening to this, what are some ways that they can network within their class or their buddies to be able to not be so alone and make that community? Something I found really helpful was just as hard as it is, you just have to put yourself out there. I would ask questions with my classmates. I would ask questions to get to know them. What I've learned working with people for so long is people generally like to talk about themselves and what they're doing. And so I would ask them questions to start that conversation going and hopefully start to build some sort of a connection there. And not all the time it ended up resulted in a long lasting friendship, but it was at least a support during the class or the program. I completely agree. It's one of the hardest things to do is to put ourselves out there because we have those imposter syndrome and those like doubts of what if they don't like me? What if they think I'm weird? or whatnot, but just kind of like you said, just do it. The worst thing that's going to happen is nothing happens. And you may feel a little weird and awkward right there, but then it'll fade away. Absolutely. So we talked about community. We talked about support systems. Any advice for people who are trying to maybe go back into school? Maybe it's been a while because I know you didn't go right back after your bachelor's degree. You took a little bit of a gap. That's not exactly true. Hmm. So I went, I, I got my bachelor's and then I went straight on full on and got my first master's. And then, but then I did take a break for six years, give or take. What was your first master's in again? Psychology. Even more impressive. So even in between your first master's to your second master's, there was still a little bit of a gap. The people that I've talked to that's been out of school for a while, they're like, I don't know if I want to go back. The money, the loans, the time, the, the homework, the assignments. 
what are some things that people can at least do to prepare themselves to get back into the grind? So one thing that stuck out with me about a year before I decided to go, or no, this is when I decided to go back, but before I had applied, one of my staff was applying for the same, for the, the MSW program. And she said something that completely stuck out to me. And she said that the program is three years long and in three years, she's going to be 37. So she can either be 37 with an MSW or 37 without. And I thought about that, sat on that for a couple of nights. And that's really what kind of got me going and wanting, you know what, I'm just going to do it. It's going to be really hard. There will be a lot of sacrifices that need to be made. But I think I would regret not doing it more than needing to do the homework and the assignments and the expense. That is so powerful. I've never really thought about that because life is going to continue whether you do the, do the thing or not. It's just whether you want to have that title or whatever you're trying to accomplish by that certain age. You're making me rethink my life choices. I was just like, uh. <laughs> but that's amazing. I really love that. And I know you're currently working on or you're, plan you're registered to get your hours and whatnot. For you, is there a specific field that you inspire to get into once you get your licensure? I really enjoy what I do now running programs. I think I'd like to stay in running programs. A lot of the jobs I was looking for when I was facing a layoff was, oh, you need to have an LCSW or an LMFT. That was the biggest reason I went back to school was I wanted that. I wanted to run the program or multiple programs at some point eventually. And I needed that license. So started the ball rolling back to that, back to school. Yeah. And you make a really good point. Even myself, when I try to go out there, like, there's a lot of positions that will require you at least to supervise one program that's clinical. If you want to become an administrator in this field, that's a good investment for you to do. If you want to go above that, then you, there's a little bit more leeway. But if you want to like actually pr supervise programs, it is a huge benefit if you have that degree. Absolutely. Now, going into leadership a little bit, since you did mention leadership, what has been one of the most rewarding experiences for you being a leader? There have been a lot. But I think a couple years ago, I had the opportunity to, some things were going on with the program and the contracts, and we ended up combining my program with another program. And the other program's director had left to pursue her own opportunities. And that opened up a position for a supervisor. And I was able to promote one of my staff into that role. And I think seeing her blossom over the last couple of years as a supervisor has been absolutely phenomenal. And not only was I able to promote her into a role, but because she had vacated her role, I was able to promote another one of my staff into her role. So I was able to promote a couple people. And that has just been an amazing experience to see both of them completely flourish and do really well in their new roles and think about their own futures. And something unique about you that I've noticed over the years is that I've known several people in leadership positions, but you really advocate for your staff and you really want the best for them and you want them to grow and prosper. And I always think of that image of a leader, of a person that's pushing the cart with the people versus a person that's sitting in it and they're like getting dragged. And I really do see you getting down and pushing them forward. You really do care about the people that you work with and you want everybody to rise up together. So I do want to give you kudos for that. Oh, thank you. You know, it's, I, I love my job. It may not be the job I'm in for the rest of my life. So I need to be able to leave it to somebody who will take it and take it even further than I took it. 
I completely agree. And I think that's one of the most important jobs as a leader is you have to be able to not create a replacement, but create different tiers, like fail safes in case you get promoted or you decide to like change your career pathway. The organization isn't going to crumble because you had all the power in your hands by yourself. So cross-train people, making sure that people are get are getting opportunities to be able to really professionally develop and grow. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And the fact that I had to go on maternity leave earlier this year, my program supervisor stepped up and she did an absolutely amazing job in it. So that was a good taste to see, okay, taking on more responsibilities, going up to the next level was wonderful for her. And I love everything that you've said so far, but we're getting close to the end of the of the podcast. So I do want to ask if there, which is the whole premise of the podcast, and then the main question that I ask everybody, if there's someone out there that's, let's say in this field, for the sake of the question, who really wants to be tap into that inner unicorn and be able to shine and reach their full potential, what are some steps that they should start working on now to get there? Just try something. It can be the smallest thing one day, but it's better than the day before. And then maybe the next day you can try two things and then you're better than that day. So you just keep starting small, add on little bits, little steps here along the road, and eventually you will get there. And to add on to that, by you trying your one step further than everybody else who decide not to try that day. Exactly. And it doesn't matter what it is. It can be anything. And I think you can apply that in anything in your life. It doesn't have to be specifically in this field. Like for me, I know what we struggled with weight loss. So if I just actually go to the gym for five minutes every day and try, I know I would get further than if I don't try. And you can even put your staff's advice into that. If I try today, where am I going to be in three years versus if I don't try today? Really adding those things in together. So I think it all like loops in together very well. Yes, very true. Perfect. This has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on here. And I really appreciate all the advice that you gave to everybody. If somebody wants to reach out to you for to a question, maybe about being a coming in MSW or whatnot, where can they reach out to you? Oh, of course. I'm on LinkedIn. So that might be the best place to reach out to me is uh, via LinkedIn or I guess anybody can email me. Perfect. So I'll put those links on the show notes. And for all listeners, I will uh, Justine will actually show up on my website at regoza-consulting.com. She'll be on the Unicorn Wall of Fame where you'll see a blog about her and the links will be on there as well. And the main points that was talked about on this show. Any last comments or any last pieces of advice before we end? I I really enjoy the podcast and you talk to absolutely amazing people. So I can't wait to see who's next. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, everyone. And I hope everyone has a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the Finding the Unicorn in You podcast. I truly appreciate you listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode and gained valuable insights. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review on your favorite platform. Keep listening, keep learning, and keep growing. Until next time, this is Dr. Jaime Gabriel Regoza signing off.